If you have a Bible, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. Um, I'm going to use some uh, visual aids tonight, so uh, if you like that, tonight, that's one. Um, without even attempting to recap 2 Corinthians, let's just say this. Um, This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he he started and discipled all the leaders. And then when he he got them ready, handed things over to them, he left. They were having some issues after he left. And so um, through visits and letters and different things, he was trying to pastor them from afar. Uh, One of the things that was um, quite a challenge there was the fact that the fact that uh, people were coming in and questioning his credentials. And so, uh, 2 Corinthians is not primarily him defending himself, but he is trying to pastor them, and he's also trying to help them get over the fact that uh, these people were, were saying he's not legitimate because of this and this and this. And so some of it is him explaining um, why those things aren't that important, and he's um, defending the fact that God has brought him there because... Um, once that is established, he can begin to pastor them. I mean, you know how that is um, when someone's trying to speak truth into your life and they, they have not, um, it's, if you don't respect the person talking to you, then you don't hear what they're saying. And so he's trying and, and just sort of to plead his case so that they will listen to him, so that through his ministry uh, to them, his preaching to them, the power of God can be unleashed and continue to work, can, and continue to work there. And so... Um, so we pick up in verse 20, um, and so if you think of, of everything up to this point, let's just summarize it in saying um, Paul has explained why he is legitimately sent from God as an apostle to them, and what he, like he is, um, he has the authority that it takes. Um, verse 20, he right, says this, it says, therefore, okay, so because of all that, we are ambassadors for Christ, all right, and he's talking about him and his, like, Timothy, and, like, his, his people. Um, says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay? So an, an ambassador, um, you know, is sent on behalf of a king or a government, and they speak um, what has been told by the authority to them to speak as their representative. Ambassadors don't bring in their own opinions and all these other kind of things. Ambassadors go and they say, you know, if the U.S. sends an ambassador somewhere, they say the U.S. government, uh, this is the opinion of the president and his administration about this matter. Um, And so they don't speak on behalf of themselves. They speak on behalf of the one who sent them. And so what he's saying is as a legitimate apostle and minister that has been sent by God here, this is the message from the king to you. Be reconciled to him. Be reconciled to God. Verse 21 shows us what reconciliation looks like. And so that's what we're going to do. So we're going to put verse 21 on the screen. We're just going to leave it there the whole time. Um, 
So look at verse 21. This is what reconciliation looks like. Uh, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? So we're just going to dissect that a little bit. Um, now there's a couple of, uh, there's, there's like three, uh, three major like characters here in this verse. There's God, and there's us, and then there's Jesus. Okay? So God, meaning the Godhead, yes, but pretty much um, whenever it talks about God, it's usually God the Father. Okay? So here's the thing about God, that some, some uh, background stuff that we need to know before in order to kind of help this verse make more sense. Um, God, as if you went to community group this week, we talked about the holiness of God. Okay? So God is, um, in our definition from group this week, we looked at uh, holiness being two things. What were they? Who remembers? Awesome. Uh, separation and devotion. Beautiful. Okay? So separation and devotion. So God is separate from sin. He's never been uh, connected to it, affected by it. Um, there, he has, there's nothing about sin that is, he's com- just completely separate from it. Which is a part of why holiness is so hard to understand. And we talked in our group how like, there are just times when, when you're singing about compassion and rescue and all this kind of stuff. And then when it gets to us to, like, singing that God is holy, the volume of the room kind of backs off a little bit. Because I think we just can't really understand it. We can understand rescue, but holiness is something we're tr- like really struggling to understand. So um, a part of what makes it so hard to understand is we, don't under- we can't even comprehend a world or a reality uh, where sin has not just completely messed everything up. But God, that's, that's how he is. So he's separate from sin. And so everything about him uh, is separate from sin. So um, when... Uh, like this week, we're going to talk about the independence of God and how he, God doesn't need anything. But that's not independence like our independence. Our independence is discolored by sin. So our independence is rebellious and sinful and prideful and all that kind of stuff. But God's independence is separate from sin. So it's completely holy. So when he, he doesn't need anything. So he's separate. And then the other idea was devotion. So not only is he separate from sin, but he's devoted to his own glory. And the reason why he can be devoted to his own glory and not be a huge egomaniac is because that devotion is separate from sin. There's no sin in devotion to his own glory. So you take, uh, in our world, we understand someone who's like real self-promoting and all just devoted to like furthering their name and their agenda. And we say, oh, that person's so arrogant and prideful and whatever. But with God, it's pure and unaffected by sin. So he's separate and he's devoted. And so holiness for us is being separated from sin and being devoted to God in, in every area of our lives. Okay, so, so there, that's the holiness of God. So you have the holiness of God, then you have the glory of God, which is, which is like the, the radiance and the beauty and the majesty that his holiness like exudes. Okay? Um, I, I read it this way that made a whole lot of sense to me. Um, if you take the sun... All right. If the light of the sun is its glory, then the fire of the sun is its holiness. Okay? If the light of the sun is its glory, then the fire of the sun is its holiness. So from the holiness of God comes this glory, this just amazement where you just, you're just taken back. It's that awe. It's that you're just kind of stunned. All right? So you have this holy and glorious God. 
And to, to add one more thing to it, when we connect to this verse, it talks about the righteousness of God. A righteousness is something that is a huge, huge point of controversy among like super smart theologians. We're just going to, we didn't invite them to church today. Uh, so, um, so we're just going to try to approach it and, and try to understand it as, as best, as best we can. So here's, here is how I understand it to look. If, if the, if the glory of God is the light, okay, if the glory of the sun is the light and the fire of the sun is the holiness, then the righteousness of the sun would be the fact that the sun is always going to act like the sun. Like the sun is always going to be the sun. The sun is always going to act in a way that's consistent with its glory and holiness. So God is always going to act in a way that's consistent with his holiness and his glory. Always, always, always. Righteousness is best understood um, in the context of a relationship. Okay? So in the Old Testament, God, uh, you know, he makes, makes a covenant with, let's take Abraham, makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, that he's going to like have kids and turn them into this big nation. And everything about Israel comes down to Abraham. Um, the righteousness of God would be the fact that God consistently stays true to what he said he was going to do. He consistently acts in a way that's consistent with his holiness and his glory. That's his righteousness. Now, um, for him to always and consistently be consistent within himself... That's a, an, such an important thing for us to understand. That he's always, always, always going to be consistent with who he is. All right? So we have holiness is the fire of the sun. Glory is the light of the sun. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this a lot. Okay? This would be the consistency of the sun. All right? So I'm the sun in this. All right? Holiness, glory, righteousness. Okay? The sun is always going to be consistent. Okay? So, those are the, that's like super important that we understand those things about God in relationship to this verse, and this is why. Um, when, when, when this is who God is, holy, glorious, righteous, um, he's always, he, he's always going to be this, uh, there's a bit of a problem when it comes to you and I and all of humanity. Um, we know from Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, So if this, think this, all have sinned and fallen short of this. All right. So sin enters into the world. Um, here's God separated from sin, which means God is separated from people. And so I have this. Um, this is something that I use from time to time so, uh, to kind of illustrate a little bit. Okay, So there's, there's you... Uh, and there's that's a sin on it, real small. And so, um, the once Adam and Eve were separated from God in Genesis three because of sin, um, sin was in their blood, and they passed it to their kids, and their kids, and their kids, and then that lands where we are today. Um, so all of us are born with uh, with that separation from God. Okay. So just the holiness of God alone that He's separate from sin, He's also separate from us. Because sin cannot be in the presence of God. Anything less than holy cannot be in the presence of God because God is this, right? He's this. And so for sin to be in this doesn't make sense. So, um, so if we're born with sin, we're also born into a world um, 
that is fallen and sinful. And so we have sin in us, and then we're surrounded by um, by greed and betrayal and murder and death and all, all these horrible things. Um, and so this is like our, our condition that we're born into um, right there. And so here's the problem, um, is that... Uh, if we're thinking of God in terms of the sun, and this is, this is where he is, all right, fire and light and always acting like the sun, holiness, glory, righteousness, um, what the sun does, what light does, is light always eliminates darkness, always. You can't you know, make a room dim by bringing in more darkness. You have to take out light. Light always overcomes and eliminates and destroys darkness. That's how, that's how light works. And so, if this is God, and that's us, you and I know that, the, that the, the holiness and glory and righteousness of God is not limited here. It's, it's everywhere, right? I mean, it's, it goes in all directions. And so, for the holiness of God, and then there's sin, the holiness of God has got to eliminate and destroy this darkness. And so if, if we think in terms of this, and we expand it to this, then sin gets destroyed. And what happens when sin gets destroyed is that we, as the carriers of sin, also get destroyed. And so if God were to, um, like, as soon as that light comes and expands, this gets disintegrated. And every one of us and everybody that's ever lived gets destroyed as well. He is obligated by his holiness to do something about this. So his holiness is producing this light. And because he is righteous and consistent, that light is always going to get rid of this darkness. Always, always, always. So we have to understand, like, fundamentally why the gospel is what it is. Because this situation is terrible for us. And so, in this verse, we see, we see God, we see us... And then we see Jesus. So here's Jesus over here. Um, so there's Christ. And in him there's these little containers that also say Christ, and that'll make sense in a second. Um, and so, uh, so here's, what, here's what happens. Um, here's, here's the situation right here, all right? So God, um, just being merciful and being awesome, has not yet done this. Okay, he's done this, and he's like, okay, um, we, the Trinity, are going to make a plan to be able to do this and not destroy our image bearers, the ones that, that we created in our image, um, the ones that we love, the ones that we care for. Um, we're going to make a plan. And that plan involves substitution, because this right here, it has to happen. Light has to destroy this darkness. And so what Jesus does is Jesus leaves heaven and comes to earth, okay? So there's Jesus, and Jesus is the righteousness of God, okay? He is the, like, think about it like this. Righteousness is not something that God is. Righteousness is something that God does, okay? If you want to think in terms of of wrath, okay, when God does this, his wrath has to destroy sin because sin is a threat, it's a threat to the ones he created. It's a threat to his holiness. And so the, the ones that, uh, I mean, he does this and he destroys this, 
But wrath is not something that he is, it's something that he does. So wrath is an expression of his holiness, that when he does this, in order to be consistent with his holiness and his glory, he has to destroy this. That's righteousness. It seems really mean, maybe it's because the term wrath is in there, but this is a righteous act of God because he's being consistent with who he is. All right? So Jesus comes in, and here is Jesus as the righteousness of God, okay? An expression and proof and um, the tangible, like most perfect example of the fact that God always says what he, always does what he says he's going to do. So God in the Old Testament starts saying, I'm, I'm going to send a Messiah, and this is what's going to happen, and this and this and this and this. And Jesus is the righteousness, the, the, the thing that God did that is consistent with who he is. So I told you I was going to send a Messiah. I told you he was going to come through the house of David. I told you he was going to be born to a virgin. I told you he was going to be in Bethlehem. I told you all this stuff. I told you he was going to be um, uh, led to the slaughter. I told you he wasn't going to say a word. I told you this. I told you this. I told you this. Look, that's why he's the righteousness of God, because he's the proof that God always does what he says he's going to do, and he's consistent with what he said. Okay? So we go to this verse. For our sake, okay? Now the the our sake, or this is going to be representative of humanity. Um, for our sake, okay, so in other words, it's saying like, for, for us, representatively, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's, here's the plan, alright? Jesus comes to earth, lives, and never, he never leaves here. He's pure, he's perfect, he's sinless, he's holy. I mean, he lives 30-whatever years and never, ever leaves this. Never becomes this. Always stays this. He knew no sin. Alright? And the plan from the Trinity, from the beginnings of time, looking from the, all the way down to the end and knowing the end result, was for there to be an exchange here. That's what this verse is teaching us. Substitution. There's going to be an exchange. And so, what happens... says that we become the righteousness of God. We talk about this, uh, you know, a good bit. Um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that says Christ goes inside of you. All right? It says our lives are hidden with Christ in God. All right? So the righteousness of Jesus goes in us because he goes in us. And it goes around us because he goes around us. So... We become the righteousness of God. Alright? And in exchange, Jesus, okay, sin doesn't go inside of Jesus. Jesus doesn't become a sinner. He becomes sin. Okay? Very, very different. Sin doesn't go inside of him, but sin goes around him as the representative. So what Jesus, what happens is, Jesus becomes the representative for sin, and we become the representative for for righteousness. Okay? So now, it's like this. There's an exchange. So there's Jesus with sin as a representative around him, and here's us with righteousness in us and around us. So Jesus gets nailed to the cross. This happens... And then this happens. And when this happens, 
the light destroys the darkness. And the darkness, meaning the power of sin, the prison of sin for us, goes away. Because only He could bear that wrath and that destruction. Only He could bear that light doing like this and destroying all that darkness. Only He could do that. We would be destroyed. Him? No. Because He's the righteousness of God. So it goes from here to here. That sin goes away. And from here, this dude gets exalted. to the highest place, right? And God gives him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, that's what it's about right there. That's what it's about. That's, you want to know why we sing? That's why we sing. And so here, pretend he's up here, okay? He's up there. And so then you have us over here. Now we become the righteousness of God in Christ. All right? You know what it says? So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so, here's where we are. Jesus is up here exalted. We're here. And this becomes life for us. Who are, like, if you're a Christian, this is life for you. But the glory of God has now expanded. The power of sin is now gone. And we have Christ in us and around us. And we become the righteousness of God. So now, we become the representatives of righteousness. We become the ones who are representative of the fact that God is always going to act in a way that's consistent with his own holiness and his own glory. We, we are now that. So when we talk about pers- the pursuit of holiness, that's what we're talking about, and that's why we're talking about it in that term. We're really we're talking about living a life of righteousness, a life that is consistent with this. Actually, a life that is consistent with this. And so a life of righteousness is one that is always pointing back. See, the consistency of the sun always makes us like appreciate the sun. The consistency of God to always be true to himself makes us appreciate the holiness and the glory of God. So we live lives, we push to live lives that are consistent with that, that picture. And so when, when we're talking about being holy in all of our conduct, and we're just talking about those things, that's, that's why. It's not like behavior modification. It's not, hey, we're going to try to control this, we're trying to make sure like our teenagers aren't, aren't like, doing the wrong things and all this kind of stuff. We're not, we're not trying to be like, hey, here's, here's some do's and do nots and all this kind of stuff. We're not trying to, that's not what it's about. But this certainly brings about conduct, doesn't it? I mean, it has such obvious implications about how we live our lives. It has nothing to do with religion being controlling 
It's about life. It's about being alive. It's about the Christ in us and the Christ around us, and we are now the representative righteousness of God. So what Paul is saying, um, when he says be reconciled to God, he's saying, like, let this happen. Let, let this be the case. To be reconciled to God means to be brought back into a right relationship with God. And so righteousness has to be understood in the context of relationship. So as we are living our lives, this is not, it's not just some legal courtroom like proceeding that just happened. It's a relational thing. So now God's like, okay, now, now, now we're back. Let's do this. And so what Paul is saying is that we are ambassadors sent from God saying, let this happen, and then you join in that, and you become the righteousness of God um, as you like, live your life and you're carried out. So as the representatives of righteousness, you go to work. And you go to school, and you go into your neighborhoods, and you go all the things we talk about all the time. As a representative of the righteousness of God, the consistency of God to always be true to His holiness and His glory. It's so much bigger when you think about it in, in those terms, you know? Like it totally reframes so many of the, of the things that we're always pushing for and striving for, you know? Because when you think about it in those terms, it just casts a whole new light, you know, on stuff like... Uh, where, where am I going to go? How am I going to speak to people? How am I going to interact? How am I, I going to handle my money? What am I going to do this weekend? How am I going to celebrate this big occasion? You know? How am I going to conduct myself? Am I going to throw this whole thing out the window? Am I going to just pretend this verse doesn't exist because it's, you know, it's Saturday night and whatever? You know? Are we going to toss all that stuff out just because... We're having a rough time at work and we're stressed. We're just going to throw this all the way out the window. Now we represent the righteousness of God as we go. That's what Paul's saying. He's, there's been an exchange. Paul's saying, as a representative of God who's come here to bring you a message, this is what he's telling you. Be reconciled to him. Because for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He exchanged our lives. He is empowered what you're going to do. And I think, you know, so many people involved in churches, um, like, there's, of course, tons of people who don't have a church upbringing. But in the South, man, the church upbringing is so driven a lot of times by the rules and by the do's and the don'ts. And so I hope this is freeing a little bit, you know. I hope it makes a difference. I mean, even even take Super Bowl Sunday, all right? Like, let's assume that you all have, like, wild, drunken keggers planned for today, all right? Like, um, I would hope that if that were the case, this would reframe that. But not in a, not in a legalistic, I'm going to have to keep the rules kind of way but also not in a complete license. I can do whatever I want because there's grace kind of way. And as I says, in, in light of the fact that I'm the righteousness of God, I have to conduct myself in such a way that ref, like, is consistent with who he is and consistent with who I am. That looks like this and looks like this. And so I think, I think the implications can go a couple ways. 
for us this morning. Um, we're going to sing a little bit because I, I've explained all the time why I think that's good. But in praying for this morning, I think there are three, three big ones. One, um, if you have not been reconciled to God, the message to you is be reconciled to God. Jesus came to exchange, to substitute, so that when the light of God shines on the darkness of sin, you would not be destroyed because you're important to him. Not because he's trying to control you, not because he's trying to guilt you, because he loves you. If you don't have a clue what I'm even talking about, then you grab somebody sitting around you, Afterwards, go find somebody. You don't have to walk away with questions. Um, but here, we don't lead you in a repeat prayer or anything like that. I think that's the most important conversation you'll ever have in your entire life. So why should I be the one to determine that? It's never made sense to me. The second thing, I think, though, is for people who, who know that, that they have been reconciled to God, but there is a conviction welling up about what your own personal righteousness looks like and your own consistency. Maybe you're looking ahead to the drunken kegger that you have planned today. Or maybe it has more to do with habits as of late or work things or family things or whatever. And so that's for the Lord to point out and for you all to work through and for you to not be a wuss and just get in there and like, Take the bull by the horns and do what you have to do. Don't be, don't be weak. This is not a picture of weakness. It's a picture of ultimate strength. But I think the, th- the third thing for all of us is to be in complete awe of, of this right here. I mean, that's, that's like you read in Revelation 19 when it talks about like, it just describes him and he comes in on the horse, you know, and he's got like, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, like tattooed on his thighs. I mean, it's just hardcore, awesome, whatever. And the whole book of Revelation is constantly saying, worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. Every knee, every tongue. I mean, it's just incredible. And that, that's the power of God. That's what the gospel is about. Yes, salvation is something that is phenomenal and awesome and I mean, it's such a huge part of why Jesus came, but it's the holiness of God and the glory of God just to where, if you think about the sun, the sun's light doesn't do this. And this was just a teaching point. This glory of the, of the sun goes all the way around. That the exaltation of Jesus Christ would be, I mean, absolutely for us. And so I, maybe you're in one of those camps. Maybe you're in more than one. I don't really know. But... Um, Yeah, that's between you and the Lord. Let me, let me let's pray together. Lord, what a just what a humbling place to be. I mean, we we could do nothing. I mean, we could not, on our best day, change that condition. born into sin, sin surrounding us. We needed rescue. We needed a Savior. We're so grateful that you didn't look at us and say, well, 
you got yourself in this mess. But you came up with a way. And so I pray in all of us that just evokes a sense of awe. That we would just just be in, in amazement of the one who has been exalted to the highest place. In the name that is above every name. And that we would not wait for that day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, but that we would um, we would already go there. That we would, would bow, that we would confess and profess your lordship, your exaltation over all, your supremacy in all things. Because of your obedience, that is, that's who you are. You were worthy beforehand. My goodness, now. We are just grateful that you have brought us back into a right relationship with you. That you are you were consistent with your nature in creating a, a way, a substitute for us. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And I pray, Father, that uh, that you would just um, just kind of saturate this room. That we wouldn't worry about what we're doing after this, but just in our time here, as we abide corporately together. You just speak to each heart, each mind. Help us to respond, empower our response, whatever that may be.